Good morning. It's good to be with you in this room and also people watching online. And let me just again say how much I appreciate our worship team in both this room and in the sanctuary. Last week I was in the in the sanctuary and the music was incredible on God the Father. And today we've lifted up both God the Father and God the Son in worship. That's one of the ways we experience the Trinity is in worship. So so thank you for our worship team and they've got a great closing song for us as well. As we continue this sermon series on the Trinity, we are living in an increasingly post-Christian world, a post-Christian culture. And more than ever, we need to understand as much as we can about the identity of the God we worship, the God that we serve. We need to know the very foundations of our faith because our foundations are going to be tested. Christians for thousands of years and all over the world believe that the identity of God is best understood through the Trinity. That God has revealed himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And yet this concept of the Trinity is very difficult to grasp. It's it's such a large concept, and and our finite minds cannot grasp it. It reminds me of, of watching our grandson, Hudson, who is two, Hudson is fascinated with a wheel, any kind of wheel he loves. He, he loves a, a, you know, anything that's circular. And you can see his mind spinning when he's looking at a wheel. And so he loves our dishwasher. And, and whenever he hears the dishwasher door open, he runs to the dishwasher, and it looks something like this. I filmed him this past week at the dishwasher. Now, they, they, they cut out the part of the video where he was about to stand on top of the dishwasher and break it off and, and take the spinning rod that goes around it and pull it down. So I had to, you know, I was trying to film it and trying to hope he wouldn't break the dishwasher. But he is fascinated by the wheel wheel on the rack that rolls in and out. And I'll watch him. He'll sit there and just get down and watch it and watch it and watch it and stop. And I kind of wonder what's in his brain, right? What, what's, what's Hudson thinking about when he's looking at the wheel on the dishwasher. And I'm thinking it could have been something that maybe that the Egyptian slaves were thinking about in building those pyramids. If we just had a wheel wheel, we could could move these rocks over here and it'd be a lot easier to build these pyramids. You know, I, I know he's gonna be an engineer or he's gonna be in a NASCAR pit crew, I'm not sure yet, but he loves a wheel. And, and one day, I, I'm guessing if they're still around, Hudson will know what a dishwasher is. And he'll know what a dishwasher's for. But for now, all he's got is a wheel, a roller. And as you look at the concept of the Trinity, I, I want to invite you to just begin to trust God for a little bit of understanding and knowledge. In fact, Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds, if you'll put your faith in me and trust me, then you can move mountains. And you will see mountains of doubt moved in your life. Mountains of fear, mountains of worry, mountains of anxiety in your life move because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Can we, can we take a leap of faith today and say, I, I want to believe. Help my unbelief, right? I want to believe today in the power of God. Now, We've all got questions about God. We've got questions about the Trinity. 
We got questions about faith, grace. We got questions about the church. We got questions about suffering. I want you to know that God can handle your questions. God can handle your doubts. God is not like some neurotic parent who only has to hear good things from his children. He can hear your concerns. Now, one of the reasons that the Trinity, this idea of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is so difficult, so big, just like that dishwasher is so big to Hudson, is our God is immense. He is immense. He's extremely large. He's extremely big and, and, and way too big for us to fully understand. Another way to say that is our God is transcendent. Transcendent. Now, transcendent means surpassing the ordinary. Beyond the range of human experience, beyond all known physical laws. In fact, J.I. Packer says God is not limited by space or by time, that God is everywhere in his fullness continually, and that God is not restricted or restrained by time and space like we are. Now, I want you to know this morning, as we get into this, I'm going to be using a lot of scripture. So if you got your Bible, be ready to, to be turning through your, through your Bible. If you, if you want to pull up your Bible app on your phone, um, and, and the prayer works, capital all is our, is our, if you don't have know how to get into our Wi-Fi, it's prayer works, which is a great, it's a great uh, password, isn't it, from Mount Horeb, prayer-driven church. But I want, you to, I want you to get into Scripture, because I think one of the reasons that we don't fully understand the Trinity is we don't understand the Scriptures. We don't read them close enough. So I believe that his divine revelation is a lot more effective than my proclamation. So I want, to, I want to lift up a lot of scripture to you, so stay with me as we go through this. The first comes from Psalm 113. For the Lord is high above the nations. His glory is higher than the heavens. Who can be compared with the Lord our God? Who is enthroned on high? He stoops to look down on heaven and on earth. And then from Isaiah 55, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And we live in a world today where we think we get it all together. We got people who are really, really smart with technology and really smart with inventing Rockets that uh, civilians now can go into outer space. We think we got the corner market on intelligence, on DNA, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But folks, we are nothing but grasshoppers, according to Scripture, compared to God. That God is so immense and so big and so large that we can never capture the essence of who God is. Thomas Aquinas, one of the greatest historical theologians, who wrote something called the Summa Theologica. It was his treatise on God. It was his book on God. After 1.8 million words and 3,000 double-column pages, he concluded, all we can know about God is what we can't know about God. All we can know about God is what we cannot know about God. He is too immense. And God's immensity and transcendency should not discourage us. But I believe, just like a few minutes ago, that God's immensity and transcendence should encourage us to inspire us to worship him. It humbles me in the presence of such an immense God that I got to fall on my knees to worship him, 
to celebrate who he is. And that worship will then transform my faith. And that faith of a mustard seed will begin to work in my heart and my mind. You know, we can't figure everything out, but we can see mountains move. Just like that dishwasher is too immense for Hudson to figure out. Our God has chosen to make himself known to us so that we can have a better understanding of who he is. You know, if God is small enough for my brain to understand him, for your brain to understand him, he wouldn't be big enough to save me. He wouldn't be big enough to save the world. I'm going to try to give you an explanation of the Trinity. And I'm standing on the shoulders of giants that for 2,000 years, we've been trying to understand the concept of how God is Trinitarian. And I'm thinking that God probably smiles at our feeble attempts to capture him, you know, try to put him into an explanation. Last week, Trevor did a great job kicking this off on God the Father. I want to think about God in this way and the Trinity in this way. God, according to Scripture, is a divine being. He, he, is a, he is a divine being. And you and I are made in his image. And therefore, we are human beings, right? And God, in his incredible capacity, his, in his immensity, he's chosen to reveal himself in three persons. So a divine being who reveals himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all of us in this room here watching online are human beings, but we're one person. Now, we're many persons in this room, but each of us are one person. In fact, if we think we're two persons or three persons, they would probably want us to get into counseling and may even put us in an institution because you and I don't have the capacity to be more than one person. It's all that we can handle. But our God in the Trinity it's big enough. And so I love this simple definition. The Trinity captures the biblical truth that God is one being who exists in three persons. Now, the doctrine of the Trinity was developed to respond to the heresy or false teaching about Jesus. That There were those that were preaching and teaching that Jesus was not fully God, that Jesus was not really divine, that Jesus was a created being. Now, the early disciples had a hard time understanding who Jesus claimed to be. In fact, they thought him to be a military Messiah who would liberate them from the hated Romans. But it was only when they spent time with him and they saw him perform miracles and they saw him do things that only God could do, like forgiving sins and raising the dead. And when they saw him resurrected from the dead after being crucified on a cross three days later, he rose from the dead and he appeared to them in a different form. As they began to believe when Jesus said what he said to them, that he claimed to be God in the flesh, that he was the son of God, God in the flesh with us here on the planet. You know, there's a lot of people that, um, that have questions about the divinity of Jesus. They want to argue that Jesus is a good man. Well, Jesus was a good teacher. But the gospels of Jesus leave us with few options. Either Jesus was an imposter, a fraud, a bad person, or Jesus was who he claimed to be. You can't have it either, both ways. C.S. Lewis said it, that God, Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. 
And I believe that he's the Lord. Amen? I believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, the son of Almighty God. You know, Jesus had more power and glory within his being than any of us could imagine. And it captures, Jesus captured in his body the immensity of God. And Jesus said to the disciples, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So God is immense, but also I'm so thankful for this, that our God is incarnational. Our God is incarnational, that our God took on flesh, human flesh in the person of Jesus. I love these, this short verse from Colossians 2.9. I want you to say it with me. All of God lives in Christ's body. Say it with me. All of God lives in Christ's body. That's what we believe when we say we believe in the Trinity, that all of God lives in the body of Christ. Now, the early church wrote creeds to defend the Trinity of God. And would you agree with me that it's easy to misinterpret Scripture? It's easy to to confuse Scripture. And, And even if we have the best intentions, and these creeds help us to maintain a good theological sense of what the Bible says. So a few minutes ago, Bryce led you in the Nicene Creed. Yeah, I want to go back and revisit these words. And you can say these with me. I'm going to read the section about Jesus that declares he is the Son of God. And as I read these, I want you just to just let these words sink into you. Because this is what we believe about God as revealed in Jesus Christ. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ. Not many lords, One Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake... He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. And God's people said, amen. That's what we believe about Jesus. That no other religion in the world believes what we believe about Jesus, about being the son of God, that God put on flesh, that that, that Jesus was fully divine and fully human. His divinity was crucial because he died for our sins. He was sinless. He had no sin. So he was a perfect sacrifice. He was the perfect lamb of God that paid the penalty for my sins and your sins and the sins of the whole world. It's truly amazing. So that whenever I go to the Lord in prayer, I can confess my sins to God through Jesus Christ and my sins are forgiven because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. Fully divine, but also fully human. A sinless savior, but a sinless savior who is available. I love what Hebrews 4.15 says that Therefore, we have a high priest who was tempted and tested in all manners like us, yet without sin. 
So therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of God for help when we need it. This morning, if you're here and you're needing help, there's no better place to to go than to the throne of God because there is a Savior who lived fully human, fully divine, that was tempted and tested in all matters just like you, yet he was without sin. And he can give you the help that you need. Now, we got to be careful when it comes to the divinity and the humanity of Jesus. If we go too heavy on the deity of Christ, Jesus becomes unapproachable. He becomes unrelatable. He becomes like some Greek God way off there. But if we put too heavy an emphasis on the humanity of Christ, he becomes buddy Jesus. And this buddy Jesus always endorses our agenda and never corrects us and never confronts us. I don't know about you, but whenever I read scripture, when I read the gospels, when I read Jesus, I'm convicted. You know, whenever we were praying the Lord's Prayer, how many of you, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, that whenever it comes to that part about forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, how many times does somebody's name, face pop into your head? That's not by accident. That is the Holy Spirit working through the words of Jesus to bring conviction to us, confronts us for what we need to work on, how we need to be more like the men and women that God is calling us to be. See, without the Trinity, our God is a spectator. But our God is not a spectator. Our God has come into this world through Jesus Christ. And Jesus amplifies and Jesus clarifies who God is. Jesus fills in the blanks for us. Our God is immense. Our God is incarnational. And our God is imminent. Now, what does that mean, imminent? Imminent means that God is very present in his creation. To his creation, God is present, especially to his people in a personal way. I love these words from the psalmist, Psalm 139. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by, by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in the darkness, I cannot hide from you. When I was a new young Christian and early in ministry, I was in Myrtle Beach for four years in the summertime. And I was always amazed at the people who, when they crossed the intercoastal waterway, coming into Horry County or into, into Myrtle Beach, they checked their values at the waterway. And they said, hey, I'm at the beach now. I can do whatever I want to do. I can be, let my hair down and be wild and crazy. But you know, God was just as much with you on the west side of the waterway as he is with you on the east side of the waterway. Our God is always with us. And I'm thankful for that because knowing that God is with me keeps me from being on the wrong side of where I need to be by his goodness, by his grace, by his love, by his presence in my life. Our God is imminent. And it is through the incarnation that we see his imminence. I want to read some scripture to you. Again, a lot of scripture here. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. This, to me, is, is the cornerstone of the New Testament. Verse 15, no one can see God. But Jesus Christ is exactly like him. Do you hear that? You want to know what God's like? Read the Gospels. He ranks higher than 
everything that has been made. Through his power, all things were made, things in heaven and on earth, things seen and unseen, all powers, authorities, lords, and rulers, all things were made through Christ and for Christ. He was there before anything was made, and all things continue because of him. He is the head of the body, which is the church. Everything comes from him. He is the first one who was raised from the dead. So in all things, Jesus has first place. In all things, in all things, in all things, Jesus has first place. If you're a follower of Jesus, he demands first place in our lives. He said to the disciples, if you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. First place. God was pleased for all of himself to live in Christ. And through Christ, God has brought all things back to himself again, things on earth and things in heaven. God made peace through the blood of Christ's death on the cross. And then from Hebrews 1, we read these words. His son is the reflection of God's glory and the exact likeness of God's being. Powerful words there. In Jesus Christ, you have the exact likeness of God's being. He holds everything together through his powerful words. After he had cleansed people from their sins, he now holds the honored position, the one next to the majestic, majestic God, the Father on the heavenly throne. Where is Jesus right now? Scripture says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, the Father. So when we feel the presence of God in this room, it is through the power of God's Holy Spirit in this room. It says that Jesus right now is interceding on our behalf with the Father at his right hand. I'm thankful for that. Every day I'm thankful that Jesus is interceding on my behalf. Father, help him out. Some of you say that to me when I'm preaching. Help him, Jesus. Help him, Jesus. Help him, Jesus, right? Because we need his help. He's not some distant God. He's interceding on my behalf, on your behalf. Now, with all that said, it's difficult for us to see Jesus. I have this on my desk. Things can be on the screens. How many of you can see what this says? Some of you can see that if you just look at the empty spaces, it spells out Jesus. But it's really hard to see. It's kind of like the, I'm going to forget the, little, the children's sermon that was being given and the, the teacher was saying, you know, what's... Uh, uh, Runs on the ground, got a long tail, and climbs trees, and got likes nuts and stuff like that. And nobody said anything. And finally, a little boy raised his hand. He says, "You know, I know we're supposed to say Jesus, but I think it's a squirrel." <laughs> I, I want you to see Jesus here, if you can, if you if you're able to study it enough. And you know, one reason I believe that we can't see Jesus in the world today is because we don't spend enough time with Jesus. We don't spend enough time in his word, reading who he is, reading who he wants us to be as he discloses it in divine revelation. You know, it's a holy privilege for me to stand here and preach about Jesus. I I love what Paul said, that, that, that I'm the least of these, and God has given me this incredible gift to be able to tell the good news about the riches of Christ, which are too great to understand fully. I could give you a million words about Jesus and never fully explain them. I want to give you four words about, or four statements about Jesus. 
as he's revealed in the Trinity. The first is this, Jesus is the word of God revealed. Jesus is the word of God revealed. The word of God. This book that I've read from today, this book that I'm preaching from is Jesus revealed, the word of God. John 1, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And then go down to verse 14 in that same chapter. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. See, because human reason is limited, God has revealed himself in divine revelation as the word of God. Jesus was the word of God in person. I want you to hear that. It's what we believe, that Jesus is the word of God in person. Over one-tenth of the words of Jesus recorded in the Gospels were direct quotes from the Old Testament. When the apostles wrote the, the rest of the New Testament, they quoted the Old Testament 209 times. What's interesting is that, Jesus, that the, the apostles wrote about Jesus, talked about what Jesus had done for them and, 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 and through the resurrection, his birth, et cetera, et cetera but they never quoted Jesus. In the Gospels, there are no direct quotes to Jesus, but they quote from the Old Testament because they were quoting from Jesus, right? That this is the living word of God. And that's why as, as a pastor, I will never compromise on the word of God because this is Jesus made flesh. We will never revise it, we'll never change it, we'll never twist it, we'll never make it fit into an agenda. This is the word of God for the people of God. We say that when we, when, we, when we read the word of God. This is the word of God for what? The people of God. And what do the people of God say? Thanks be to God is our response. Thanks be to God for the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. The word of God. Now, secondly, is Jesus came into this world to demonstrate the love of God. 1 John 4, 9. God showed how much he loved us by what? by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. That Jesus demonstrated how much God loves the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I believe that Jesus demonstrated in his walk, in his life, how much he loved the father and how much the father loved him. I love these words in, in John 17, 24, where Jesus is praying his, what is known as his high priestly prayer. He says, Father, I want these whom you've given to me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you love me even before the world began. Do you hear that? Jesus is saying, Father, you love me even before the world began. Before God was a creator, 
And before God was a ruler, God was a father who loved the son. And he loved his creation so much that he sent his only son, his one and only unique son, into the world to demonstrate his love. You know, the, the worship team sang a great song at the beginning, Child of Love. I won't take responsibility for that. I, I, I sent them that song and said, hey, this is a great song to learn. And you know what they said about it? They said, it sounds like a 70s song. I said, that's why I like it. I'm a child of the 70s, right? But you know, the first child of love was Jesus. He says so in John 17, that Father, you loved me before the foundation of the world. Before you created anything, you loved me. The third thing I would say to you is that Jesus came to restore our relationship with God. He came to this world to restore our relationship with God. In, in 2 Corinthians 5, we read these words, God has done all of this. He has restored our relationship with him through Christ and then has given us this ministry of restoring relationships. In other words, God was using Christ to restore his relationship with humanity. What a, what a loaded statement, right? That God was choosing to restore relationship with humanity through, through, through Jesus Christ. God was using Christ. He didn't hold people's faults against them. He has given us this message of restored relationships to tell others. Therefore, we are Christ representatives, and through us, God is calling you. And these words, I want you to hear this. We beg you. We beg you on behalf of Christ to become reunited with God. This morning, I stand before everyone listening, and I beg you, I beg you, because of Jesus Christ, will you be reunited with God? I beg you. Perhaps it's doubt that separated you from God. Perhaps it's chasing the culture that separated you from God. But I beg you that because of what Jesus Christ has done, will you be reunited with God? And then fourthly is Jesus came to declare God's purpose. He wants us to know God personally, but he wants us to be a part of God's plan. Matthew recorded these words at the end of his gospel. When Jesus came near, he spoke to them, the disciples. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not some authority. You know, Bill Gates does not have all authority. Whoever owns Amazon doesn't have all authority. No political leader on the planet has all authority, but one does, and his name is Jesus. I want you to hear that's what we believe as Christians. It's not up for discussion. It's not for debate. It's what we believe, that Jesus has all authority. He declared that. This is not my idea. So wherever you go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in whom? The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's the Trinity. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to do everything I've commanded you. Remember that I'm with you always, even till the end of time. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm here with you through the power of the Holy Spirit, always till the end of time. That's the Trinity that we believe in. So our God is immense. Our God is incarnational. Our God is imminent. He's everywhere. But I want you to hear this in closing. Our God is intimate. He's intimate. It says in that passage I just read, when Jesus came near. See, the immensity of God desires intimacy with his creation. The immensity of God desires intimacy with his creation. He wants to be with you. He wants to be in your life. And I beg you to consider that today. 1 John four fifteen. all who declare that Jesus is the son of God have God 
living in them. Do you hear that? All who declare that Jesus is the son of God have God where? Living in them. And they live in God. You know, it's when, I, when I'm praying. It's when I feel the intimacy of God. It's when I'm, when I'm praying, I, feel the, I pray in the Trinity. I pray to God the Father through the Son, Jesus, who died on the cross for my sins, who makes a way for me to go to the Father. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that God gives me what to pray and what to say. The Trinity at work in my prayer life, but I feel the intimacy of God. I feel close to God. Robbie Williams is a popular British singer-songwriter who has seven number one songs. He's not a believer. He's, He's a tormented soul if you listen or read some of his music. He once went on a shopping spree in L.A. He bought five cars, including a brand new Ferrari, a brand new Porsche, and a brand new Mercedes. Within a week, he wished he hadn't bought them because he didn't even have a driver's license. Robbie Williams, in his lyrics, is honest about his self-obsessions and his addictions. In one of his songs, Feel, he, he echoes the deep longing of the human heart. Maybe, maybe, maybe you can relate to his words. He said, he wrote, I, I just want to feel real love. There's a hole in my soul. You can see it in my face. It's a real big place. There's a lot of people in our world that have a big hole in their soul. Maybe you feel that way today. This hole in the soul can't be filled with cars and it can't be filled with wealth and it can't be filled with success. It can't be filled with drugs. It can't be filled with relationships. It's a God-shaped hole. And God loved you so much that he sent his son into this world to fill the hole in your soul with his only son. I read a story earlier this week about a deeply troubled teenage girl that had a hole in her soul. And she had this dream where a man came and stood before her. He gently reached out and touched her arms where she had been cutting herself. Open wounds of torment And she said, instantly in the dream, I was filled with joy and peace and a sense of hope. And the places where I'd been cutting myself and hurting myself, they were healed and there was comfort. And the next day she shared her dream with a Youth for Christ counselor and said, Jesus came to me. Jesus revealed himself to me and he touched my arms and he filled me with hope and joy and love. My friends, knowing Jesus is the key to knowing God. Knowing Jesus Christ is the key to filling the hole in your soul, being restored to a right relationship with God. As we close this service this morning, we're going to sing a song of affirmation. It's an opportunity for you to declare what you believe. The song says, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord. I believe in the name of Jesus. And maybe today you're having a hard time believing. 
And maybe like little Hudson, you got to get down on your knees and you got to look at the wheel. and Just roll it back, back and forth. And maybe you just believe have the faith of a mustard seed. See, God, I don't understand all of this. It's confusing to me. But I believe in Jesus today. I want to believe in Jesus. I got a hole in my soul. Will you come into my heart and feel this emptiness, feel this longing, feel this hurt, feel this pain? That's why he came. That's what we believe. Father God, I pray that right now that you would feel the whole in our souls. I pray that you would, you would speak to us and, and take away the fear, the doubt that you're not real. Lord God, I, I pray that it would begin small today, a little small step of faith that you will use us Fill us, remake us into your image. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We believe in you today. I believe. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.